Greetings, Seamheads, far and wide. Welcome into another edition of the Blake Street Irregulars. It is Thursday, April 12th. I am Casey Light. You can find me on Twitter at Light on His Feet, and I'm very excited to be joined on the Blake Street Irregulars today by Jake Meyer, who's a co-host of Sports Destiny Radio, heard on Mile High Sports Radio, AM 1340, FM 1047, every Saturday afternoon from 1 to 3 p.m., along with his co-host, David Johnson. Jake, welcome to the Blake Street Irregulars. I'm happy to be here for the Blake Street Irregulars. My first time, hopefully, uh, I'll be back here again, maybe. Well, it's hard to become too much of a regular on a podcast called the Blake Street Irregulars. Uh, But no, we we would certainly uh, welcome your presence back here. Jake has been with Mile High Sports for a very long time. Uh, started out with us as an intern, right. grew to being a producer, uh, works on the TV side of our operation, and now is a host on the weekends as well. You do a little bit of everything, don't you, Jake? Yeah, I'm a Swiss Army knife, I'd like to call it. Uh, I love it, I love it. Well, another place that does uh, a little bit of everything, and they do it very, very well, is our friends at Top 14, the presenting sponsors of the Blake Street Irregulars podcast. You can find them at 1920 Blake Street, just a half block from Coors Field, with those 70 Colorado beers on tap and 100 Colorado distilled spirits. You can find a little bit of everything for every taste bud there at Tap 14. Jake, the Colorado Rockies just wrapped up their first homestand of the year. And let's be honest, it was a it was a disappointing homestand to start. Um, not only did they lose their home opener played in those frigid conditions right. to Atlanta, uh, they only picked up two wins in the course of their first uh, six games at home in 2018. The Rockies historically have been such a dominant team at home at Coors Field, uh, losing to an Atlanta team that is expected to be you know, in the mix in the East, but, but certainly not up there with Washington and the New York Mets, uh, and then losing to the Padres, who everybody really expects to be the, the, the cellar dwellers in the NL West. Are, are right. you concerned at all about going two and four in the first six games at home? You know, it's a, it's a little bit concerning, and especially with some of the injuries that have happened and along with you know ejections and, and suspensions <laughs> we will get to that and um you know but I'm, I'm not too concerned i think it's just a little bit a little bit too early to get too concerned but um yeah i really think that if they could bounce back against the nats then it'll be really good moving forward yeah we will talk about that series upcoming with washington a huge four-game series in our nation's capital with the washington nationals Starting tonight, Chad Bettis is on the mound for the Colorado Rockies, and Gio Gonzalez is pitching for Washington. We'll talk about that in a moment, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into what we've seen from the Colorado Rockies so far this season. They are 13 games in with a 6-7 and seven record, and I, I think I lean a little bit with you. I am not too concerned at this point in the season. We remember how hot a start the Rockies got out to in 2017, and that was so, so critical down the stretch because mm-hmm. they tended to fade during that second half. Uh, They they really struggled. Uh, Guys, you know, Mark Reynolds cooled off, you know, incredibly. Um, Yeah, Cargo picked up and and did a little bit better. Trevor Story was better in the second half, but it was really the strength of their April, May, and June that they rode all the way to that second wild card in fending off the Milwaukee Brewers, a team that's expected this year to be in contention for a wild card again. The, The reason I'm not so concerned is when you look at the West Division standings this early in the season... The Rockies at six and seven are actually in second place in the division. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a huge surprise to me because I thought the Dodgers would be on top. You know, Diamondbacks right behind them, and you know the Giants. I you know with the additions that they've added, I thought they would pick it up a little bit as well. But it's a little slow start for everybody here in the NOS. Yeah, it, it is. The Arizona Diamondbacks leading the way at nine and three. Look, everyone expected the Diamondbacks to be in the running. Obviously, they've got that that great. Uh, 
front two of the rotation mm-hmm. in Zach Granke and Robbie Ray. The lineup, even though they lost J.D. Martinez, is still very, very strong with Paul Goldschmidt and Jake Lamb. But the rest of the West, especially the Dodgers, who sit at 4-7 and seven right mm-hmm. now, uh, a little bit surprising, especially because, for example, the West has played a lot against the Atlanta Braves, uh, who are off to a 7-5 and five surprising start. I'm not as concerned so far because the rest of the West is, is kind of lagging behind, but the concern that you have as time builds is, well, you, you need to keep a hold on those wild card spots at some point. Right. Uh, but to jump to those conclusions this early in the season, maybe, maybe a little bit... Uh, a little bit premature, so we don't want to read too much into that start, uh, but we do want to take a look at, at just some of the outcomes that we've seen, because here's here's the biggest concern that I've had so far for the Colorado Rockies, is that in each of their six victories, we have seen Wade Davis pitch. Right. right. Wade Davis has pitched in all six of their victories. He has five saves and one blown save. Uh, he did not factor into the decision, so to speak, in that walk-off walk by Tony Walters against the Braves last Saturday. Uh, but he did have the blown save, so he factored into the game without a doubt. He didn't, he didn't ultimately have, have a decision on the line, um, you know, a save or, or anything like that. But are you concerned at all with with how much we're having to lean on Wade Davis already this season, knowing what we saw from Greg Holland last year, who got pressed into so much duty early on and then struggled late in the year? It it could be a replica of last year if we keep seeing Wade Davis having to be leaned on so much. And not just Wade Davis. I think they're leaning on the bullpen way too much to start out this season. You know, Herman Marquez and, you know, a few other pitchers don't don't go deep enough and as, as, as we want. So, I mean... Later on in the season, that's going to be taxing on the bullpen for sure. Yeah, the, the one guy that, that you really need to see better performances and more consistent performances out of from the starting lot from the starting rotation, excuse me, is John Gray. Very shaky first start, mm-hmm. exceptional second start, middle of the road third start is right. what I'll call it. Um, he took the loss in, in, this, in that last game where he faced San Diego. Um, it, the, I think his stat lines were were maybe not. They were a little bit more alarming than he actually pitched. That mm-hmm. that home run that he allowed, the three-run shot to Clayton Richard, giving up a three-run home run to the pitcher is a cardinal sin yeah. in, in baseball. You, you can't do that something hurts. like that. Um, you know, He ended up taking the loss in that. He allowed all of the Rockies' runs in that game. Um, that's what you need to see. In, that was a, uh, it was a 6-7 outcome or 7-6, seven, 7-6 six, um, seven, six for the Padres. You want to see John Gray. He's said that that this year he wants to to reach the 200 inning threshold. Uh, so far through his three starts, he is at 16 innings pitched. He's not on pace to reach that number necessarily. Yeah. Um, so I definitely want to see that. But I'm with you. They they are relying, in my opinion, a little too heavily on the on the bullpen, especially what what I will call the plus side of the bullpen. Uh, guys like Brian Shaw, Jake McGee, now Adam Ottavino, who has just come out of nowhere to be exceptionally good this year. And we'll talk about him in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Ronnie and I, uh, when we did the podcast on Monday, said that one of the keys to success in the Rockies Padres series was seeing Antonio Senzatella in the game. Uh, because that meant the Rockies were up by enough runs mm-hmm. that they could afford to put Antonio Sensatella in the game instead of having to rely on, say, Brian Shaw or Wade Davis. Um, ultimately, Antonio Sensatella was in yesterday's game, but it was because Herman Marquez was ejected from yesterday's <laughs> right. game. That's so not the ideal situation. Yeah, that was it. So we were right, but we were wrong. Uh, so let's talk about that game yesterday, because obviously that's the thing that everybody has on their mind. Um, 
a series of events led to the incident, we'll call it, mm -hmm. uh, the brawl, for lack of a better term, um, where Luis Perdomo threw behind Nolan Arenado and Nolan just went absolutely berserk. Right. Uh, Leading up to that point, it didn't seem like things were getting that escalated. But when you saw in the first inning Trevor Story get hit, the second inning Hunter Renfro get hit, get hit, you really knew something like this was coming, right? Right, right. And then, you know, from yesterday as well with the bruised ribs and... Yeah, you're talking about uh, Manuel Margot, yeah. who who was hit the night before late in the game. A fastball that got away from Scott Oberg ended up sending Margot into the hospital um, because, hey, look, when you get hit by a Scott Oberg heater uh, directly in the ribs, you're going to yeah. have some damage. Uh, we put a, t a poll up on Mile High Sports Twitter uh, about whether you're okay with fighting both in hockey and charging the mound in baseball, part of you know the game policing itself. Where do you fall on that front? Are you okay with, with guys going to blows on the field of play? I just think it's unnecessary. I don't there there's no reason to put your head out there, put throw your neck out there and, you know, risk getting injured in a brawl, especially if you're at the status of a Nolan Arenado and then Herman Marquez also getting in there, you're a pitcher, you know, your your right hand is pretty much your your gold glove. I mean, you know, that's that's your That's your, your money payday. maker. Yeah, exactly. So I am not I'm not huge on the fighting. I think it's unnecessary, but hockey, I'm all for hockey, but but baseball not really. A little little different animal um in hockey. I Look, I grew up playing baseball. Uh, I have been involved in a few brawls. I've had guys <laughs> run at me. I've had to go back up guys who have, who have uh, gotten into to some engagements, we'll call them. Uh, on the Mile High Sports Twitter poll, 91% of respondents said, it's part of the game, go with it. Only 9% said eliminate it. Wow. Uh, so uh, generally speaking, fans tend to, uh, at least the Mile High Sports voters right. on Twitter, uh, tend to think that it's okay for, uh, for you know, to see those kinds of things in each of those sports, both hockey and in baseball, because we included both. I, I thought it was, it was important to put it in both. The issue that I have with, with Nolan in particular being the guy to charge is – it's it's a it's a tough spot because he's a he's a leader of this club and obviously we saw what it did it sparked a five run rally the Rockies finally snapped that three game losing streak their offense had been anemic up to that point uh, but the concern with Arnauto is twofold uh, number one like you said you could injure yourself it's it's the old Bull Durham line right, right? If, if you if you remember the movie Bull Durham when when Nuke Lelouch comes in and punches Crash Davis he asks you know Crash asks him which hand did you hit me with because he wants to make sure he's yeah. hitting him with the right you know with with the proper I shouldn't say right hand but you know the, the opposite non, yeah the, the non-throwing non hand um but you know, with Nolan, that's the that's the fear that I have for a guy like Nolan, who is so so important to this team. The injury risk is there. Obviously, the suspension risk is there. Now we'll wait to see what the uh, the results are of of Nolan's charging the mound yesterday. Because you have to imagine that based on the fury that you saw in his eyes, the punches that he was throwing, the way that he continued to go after guys, yeah. uh, well after things had sort of started to settle down, you have to imagine that there's going to be at least a few games handed down for Nolan. We'll see what that comes to. Uh, but that's always been my concern with those types of guys. Uh, the, the takeaway from it, though, is... Maybe this codified this team. Maybe this sparked that group and said, "Hey guys, we need to we need to pick this up." Uh, do you think that this was necessary this early in the season? Um. Well, I mean, with the slow start that they usually have, well, that they had this year, and you know, opposite from what they usually do. I, I mean, every time I see the Rockies every season, they usually start out to a hot start, and you know, they fade out during the rest of the season. But you know, a little bit of opposite this year, and I think that 
it was a little bit necessary just to, you know, I don't know, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but <laughs> it, it was a little bit necessary just to just to get you more hyped, more into the game a little bit because at that point, like you said, the 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 offense was just, you know, at all time low. It was it was it yep. was not doing good in the last three games and that losing streak, and particularly all season, but. Yeah, I, th- I feel like that that could definitely be a spark moving forward. Yeah, you talk about the offensive numbers being low for Colorado, and, and that's something that certainly is a concern. Uh, at this point in the season, through those 13 games, Rockies are tied with Cincinnati for 12th in the National League in terms of team batting average with 232. Uh, their on-base percentage is is slightly better. They're ninth at 306. They are managing to score some runs. Um, they're not. You know, we usually expect to see the Rockies up there, top two, top three in the National League. Right. Um, as it stands right now, they're sitting at eighth. Uh, so you didn't see that that big run production that you expect uh, from the Rockies at Coors Field. I'm going to attribute some of that to the early spring conditions. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that 27 degree opening day makes it tough to score runs. But then again. Atlanta Braves went out and scored eight runs in that right. game, um, including, I think it was five in the first inning. Uh, so it's not to say that other people weren't scoring runs. Uh, the Rockies have just been a little bit slow on that. The one concern that, that I have when I look at the Rockies statistically is the high number of strikeouts. They rank second in the National League behind only San Diego, who, wow. again, everybody expects to be at the bottom of the standings, not just in the National League West, but in the National League as a whole. San Diego coming in with 127 strikeouts, Rockies with 122. So, you know, not a a huge, huge difference between the two of them there. Um, Rockies have taken 46 bases on balls. Uh, but they have, uh, you know, they've they've been striking out a high number, and that's that's always been the concern with with especially guys like Gerardo Parra on this roster, guys like Trevor Story, guys like Ian Desmond. Right. Uh, when you have hitters, especially hitters like that, that that are clustered in the lineup, it can be very, very dangerous to have high strikeout numbers. And that's been one of the big issues for the Rockies is uh, their their performance with runners in scoring position has been mediocre at best a lot of guys being left on base not a lot of runs being produced and so you know that's the area i think the rockies really need to t- step up their game is not just the total you know cutting down the, those strikeout numbers comparatively we know strikeouts are going to be high uh, across baseball because that's the trend right now right but but we want to see them s- cut those numbers down comparatively to the rest of the national league the the concern for me on the pitching side of things, obviously we talked about John Gray, is we need to start seeing some some of those deeper starts. Uh, the, the matchups that the Rockies have upcoming are a little troublesome in, in my mind because they're they're going to be facing both Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg and. Those are very, very big games. Uh, those are big games. Those are the final two games of the series. Uh, both of them are afternoon games. Those are going to be on Saturday and Sunday. And the concern for me is that John Gray and Tyler Anderson are going up against two of the best pitchers in the National League in Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. Mm-hmm. And we have not seen either John Gray or Tyler Anderson rise to the occasion. What, what in your mind... Do you need to see from John Gray as he faces Max Scherzer on Saturday to give you some confidence that John Gray can pitch in these big games? I I really just want to see him not give up too many runs, no home runs to pitchers or anything like that. <laughs> but um, 
I want to see him go at least six or seven innings and, um, you know, two runs wouldn't be too bad, you know, but it's really from Tyler Anderson, I, you know, that first start was, you know, really bad. And then it's like night and day with Tyler Anderson. So yeah. inconsistent along with John Gray. And I just want to see some consistency moving forward and, you know, against those in those two starts, I want to see you know good outings from those guys. Yeah, Anderson was better in his uh, in his start against San Diego. Uh, his second start against San Diego, um, his third start overall, uh, left with a tie game. Left left with mm-hmm. the game winnable by the bullpen. Brian Shaw gave up his first runs as a Rocky uh, after multiple outings where he had not allowed some. Uh, Shaw ultimately ended up taking the loss. Rockies offense was uh, really handcuffed by Joey Lucchesi. Um, that was a, that was kind of a tough break for Anderson, who has put together two relatively strong outings in a row, uh, both against the San Diego Padres. And right. that, to me, is the is the big question mark X factor, so to speak, is he's doing those against a team that everyone really does expect to be way down in the standings this year. Now he's going to have to do that not only against a Washington Nationals team that includes the likes of Bryce Harper, you know, the obviously the, the perennial MVP uh, leading man there in the National League, but he's also got to do that with Steven Strasburg pitching opposite him. Anderson has matched up with pitchers, I think, back to that game last year that where he went toe-to-toe with Clayton Kershaw and actually got the better of Kershaw. Mm-hmm. Um, and all, all that fun that went down with his late departure from the bullpen and, right. and kind of getting inside of... of uh, Kershaw's head. I, I I thought that was kind of funny and 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 a, a, you know one of the better anecdotes from last year's. Uh, it seems like the Rockies they really the Rockies lineup really steps up against big pitchers like like Kershaw and uh, uh, Granky. Yeah, exactly. Granky with yeah, without a doubt. And so that's what you hope to see is you want to see these guys really step up and and improve. Um, their the, you know raise their game so to speak against these big name guys. Going back to Gray and Scherzer, I've written a piece uh, and I've referred to it several times over about John Gray having the potential to evolve into a Max Scherzer type. If, if you look at their performance, and, and I, I I it was essentially right when John Gray hit the 50 start mark in his major mm-hmm. league career. If you look at their raw numbers, and, and I realize numbers aren't everything necessarily, but if you look at their raw numbers in terms of wins and losses, whip, batting average allowed, home runs allowed, uh, John Gray through his first 50 starts and Max Scherzer through his next 50 starts, or his first 50 starts, excuse me, were, were virtually identical players. Mm. The difference is what Scherzer did in his next 50, in his you know, to reach that 100 start mark, Scherzer really took a huge leap forward and started to become the dominant pitcher that we know. It began there in Detroit, then then moved to Arizona where he where he improved and, and got very, very strong. And then obviously the dominant pitcher that he's become now with the Washington Nationals. Uh, Max Scherzer, John, in my mind, John Gray has all of the skill set as far as the the physical tools Mm -hmm. to be as good as Max Scherzer. The question is, does he have the mental toughness? And that was the big difference for Max Scherzer was he sharpened that mental toughness in those second 50 starts as John Gray will accumulate the bulk of those 50 starts this season, assuming he stays healthy. You want to see him, like you said, not make those mental mistakes. You want to see John Gray not give up a three run home run to the pitcher, but go in there and bury that pitcher on three, you know, two fastballs and a curveball, sit him down, be done, and end the inning. Uh, that's where John Gray has struggled, not only in those big, big moments games, you know, like we saw in the wild card game, like we saw on opening day this year, where he, the the, the spotlight maybe shines a little too bright, mm-hmm. he can't slow the heart rate down, loses control, works up in the zone, loses his effectiveness. 
or those moments where he thinks, oh, I've got this, like we saw against San Diego when he mm-hmm. allowed that three-run home run to Richard. That's that's what you need to see from John Gray. Look, all eyes are going to be on John Gray on Saturday as he faces Max Scherzer. This is another big game. This will tell us a great deal about John Gray's evolution and maturation this season. The matchup between Anderson and Strasburg, I can't wait to see just because Anderson is that wild card guy who will sometimes come out and just and, and just really stupefy very, very good offenses. So I, I, I'm excited to see what he does against a very tough Nationals lineup. Let's take just a step back now. We've, we've broken down what to look for in, in that series, especially those two marquee matchups there on Saturday and Sunday. Who are some Rockies players that have surprised you for the better through the early portion of the season? Um, I would say for sure Adam Ottavino from the bullpen. You know, I wasn't really expecting him to take that huge of a step that, he has, that he's taken so far. Um, w- with batting, I would say Carlos Gonzalez. I mean, he, he's been really stepping up his game a little bit. Uh, he, but the only thing is, you know what they say about Carlos Gonzalez is he only hits solo shots. So <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, it's nice to see Cargo, you know, swinging the bat pretty well. And, you know, especially Ian Desmond. He's been, you know, he's leading the team in RBIs. He seems to be um, in big situations, swinging the bat pretty well. So it's good to see Ian Desmond take that next step because I feel like a lot of people were too hard on Ian Desmond last year. I mean, it's a new a new scenery. You know, you can't stay off the disabled list, and you know you're you're, you're you, I mean, you're playing all kinds of different positions. Yeah. You're not there's nothing set. So I don't really put too much on Ian Desmond for last year. So it's good to see him doing good this year. Yeah, I can't can't agree more about. Adam Ottavino, I don't think anyone really saw this coming, except maybe Adam Ottavino. Uh, there's right. been a lot of stuff where, where Otto has talked. Uh, Ronnie Court has a piece that's coming up here shortly on Ottavino and, and you know the, the reestablishment of that you know just nasty slider. His fastball command is, is far improved. There's been some mechanical differences uh, that have helped him this year. He's, he's not throwing quite as far across his body. You, you see he's a little bit more direct playing to the plate. So uh, Otto has been great. Obviously, there's always the concern with him when you throw that many breaking balls. We know he's gone through the Tommy John. You know, is mm-hmm. there going to be a breaking point for that arm? But so far, so good for Adam Ottavino. Been great. It's funny the two guys that you mentioned, Carlos Gonzalez and Ian Desmond, because if you were to just close your eyes and look at some of their raw numbers, Cargo hitting just 250. Right. Uh, Ian Desmond hitting only 209, and yet those RBI numbers, nine for Desmond leads the club. Cargo with seven is second just behind him. The, they have been clutch if they haven't been consistent. Right. What's interesting is then you see guys like DJ LeMahieu batting 308. You see guys like Nolan Arenado hitting 311, but they have been consistent but not clutch. Right. You know, the guys at the top of the lineup, Charlie Blackman hitting 282, who's missed significant time now with a combination of back and quad issues going on. Those guys at the top of the lineup who delivered so consistently and in the clutch, especially last year, are still putting up better numbers you know from from a raw perception standpoint if you're just looking at batting average for example than say Desmond or I'm sorry then say LeMahieu or Blackman or Nolan but they're not getting it done when it matters right. um, that's what I'm really uh, excited to see from both Cargo and Ian Desmond We've talked about this a lot on this podcast, but the, the one thing that is troubling me with Ian Desmond has nothing to do with Ian Desmond. It is 100% on Bud Black, but just let the guy play first base. Yeah. There is absolutely no reason that Ian Desmond should not be playing first base five or six days a week. We saw that early on in the season this last week. I don't find it surprising that Bud Black has had to kind of play a little bit of, of 
you know, of a shell game with his lineup because of Charlie's injury, and he's putting Ian Desmond back in left field, and now all of a sudden you're seeing Ian Desmond fall off the map again. Right. Um, he's been he's had a couple of good, you know, clutch hits, but he he wasn't as consistent as he was when he was playing consistent innings at first base he proved I mean he was fantastic defensively early on in the season there Mm -hmm. at first base there's no doubt that a former all-star shortstop could pick up and play the position of first base in anyone's mind right yeah I mean you know Ian Desmond he needs to play first base I think you know a little bit of you know just a, a routine would be great for Ian Desmond but Another guy that I would be remiss not to mention is Chris Iannetta. I yep. mean, a, a huge question mark going into the season when we lost Jonathan Lucroy. Um, I, the catcher position was a huge question mark, and Chris Iannetta has really stepped up to the to his game, and he's playing phenomenal. Yeah, Iannetta has been a, a huge surprise, especially offensively. I don't think there was a lot of expectations out of Iannetta uh, from an offensive standpoint, but hitting three thirty three, uh, he's got a couple of doubles thrown out a home run. He's got five RBIs, taken five walks to only 10 strikeouts. So like what you've seen early on from Iannetta, the biggest gauge for Iannetta's success, as I mentioned in my season preview, is how does he handle this pitching staff? And that's the one, what I will say, minor pass that I'm going to give to these starters, at least a little bit early on, is they still have a catcher who is learning them. Uh, right. And the only reason maybe that that I don't give them a, a 100% pass, I'll give them maybe like a half pass, is they had that same exact situation last year with Ryan Hannigan and with Jonathan Lucroy. Uh, Tony Walters obviously knows these guys probably better than anyone else, mm-hmm. but Tony Walters is not a lifelong catcher, and so he's basically relying on pitches to come in from the dugout or what he has on his wristband. Chris Iannetta is a longtime MLB vet. He played with the Arizona Diamondbacks last year. There's absolutely no reason that he shouldn't be able to call a game inside and out from that standpoint. What he really is figuring out at this point is how to call each guy's game, being John Gray's game, Tyler Anderson's mm-hmm. game, Chad Bettis's game, Herman Marquez's game. Um, that's There's going to be a little bit of a learning curve, and so I will attribute some of these bumps early on in the season to that learning curve because if you recall last year it was actually Tony Walters who was the the primary starting catcher mm-hmm. guy who had a lot more innings logged with this pitching staff it wasn't until later on that that Ryan Hannigan started to show how well he could handle this staff so I I've been very impressed with Chris Iannetta as well. Very, very happy uh, to see what he has done on the offensive side. Can't wait to see how this pitching staff improves under Iannetta over the course of the season. Not giving them a full pass at this point, but uh, definitely want to see how that improves. Well, a big, big series coming up this weekend. Four games against one of the really the, the class teams of the National League in the Washington Nationals and a team themselves fighting to get out of a little early season, uh, maybe maybe shake off a little early season rust. I won't call it an early season slump because at 6-6, six and six, they're sitting right at 500. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everybody in the East is chasing those red-hot New York Mets. Just one loss on the season, 10-1. and one. Best team in baseball right now are those New York Mets. Uh, it just goes to show when your pitching delivers consistently how strong a club you can be. We want to see more of that solid pitching from the Colorado Rockies because... You know, the belief is that they have the horses. It's just a matter of of seeing those guys mature and and really step up their game this year. 
I think the po- the potential is there, especially with an anchor like Chris Iannetta there behind the backstop. Uh, but really need to see the Rockies take a step forward here in this series, uh, especially against a very tough Washington Nationals team. What's so exciting about this series, I think, is is that both teams have gotten to a, a slow start, and you know both teams will be desperate to be trying to stop that dry spell. So I think it's going to be exciting this weekend. Yeah, most most certainly. Uh, of these four games, I really look at them and say that only one pitching matchup, I, I and, and even that I'm, I'm kind of reaching just because I like the guys so dang much, but uh, only one pitching matchup that I can even make any kind of an argument favors the Colorado Rockies. Chad Bettis faces off with Gio Gonzalez tonight. Obviously, you got to give the nod to Gio there in that one. Kyle Freeland will face Tanner Rourke. On Friday, um, Rourke is no slouch. Let's see. Mm-hmm. He, he kind of gets buried in that lineup, but uh, I'll give a slight edge to Kyle Freeland just because he's a Colorado kid. Right. He's a bulldog. We love what Kyle Freeland does. And uh, he's a Mile High Sports Magazine uh, cover star from a few months back. So, uh, And then obviously we mentioned John Gray and Max Scherzer on Saturday. They wrap up the series with Tyler Anderson trying to uh, keep Steven Strasburg in check. It's going to be a great series. We're looking forward to it. We will be down at Tap 14 off and on throughout the course of the weekend, checking out those games. We hope that you join us down there. Please, when you stop by at Tap 14, tell them that the Blake Street Irregulars sent you. I am Casey Light. You can follow me on Twitter at Light on His Feet. Jake Meyer has been my co-host for this edition. Jake, how can po- folks find you on social media? You can find me at Jake Meyer Radio. That's M-E-I-E-R. It's a little confusing sometimes. The non-traditional Meyer. Yes, yes. And you could also listen to Sports Destiny Radio every Saturday from 1 to 3 p.m. If you can't listen live on AM 1340, FM 104.7 in Denver or streaming worldwide at milehighsports.com, you can also find Jake's podcasts on Audio Boom. Search Mile High Sports or search Sports Destiny Radio. This has been another edition of the Blake Street Irregulars presented by Tap 14 at 1920 Blake Street. We'll see you down at Tap 14. Until Monday, have a great weekend and go Rockies.